I feel like the work of Jesus of Nazareth is all rooted in what he said summarizes the, the law and the prophets and all of it is to the love of other as self. Well, that would also have in it this idea, and you can see it when Paul talks about knocking down dividing walls and all that, that there's this, this false divide between all of us and, and they're literal and figurative divides. And to awaken from the, the fallacy of those, I, I just, I hesitate to say, well, this is why I think the church got so far from it. I, I think that it could be in a conversation on a podcast as simple as it, well, we're not. It's, it's just a matter of more of us recognizing that we have everything we need already. We just, we, we don't channel our compassion and our love very well. We just expend most of it on ourselves because we're, we're taught to be afraid. We're taught to prioritize ourselves. We're taught to spend our resources, however you want to define resources, on ourselves because we're, man, we're, I mean, we're just an inch away from the kingdom of God. It's in our midst, but we still live by the animal kingdom. Dog eat dog. Placate the crisis. Justice created under our feet. But we deny it Pass on the virus Listen Listen Hear the broken sing everybody welcome back to the show i am seth as always your host and i'm so happy that you're here and thank you for downloading this episode so i want to be brief in these intros i'm trying to condense them down into something that isn't rambling and so the quick pitches patreon continues to grow go to the show notes or patreon.com slash can i say this at church pledge any amount that matters to you if you're getting anything out of these shows that community is creating something new and something I think that can really explode with your help this year. Um, I want to do some live shows. I want to do some things like that, but all that requires funds. And to those of you that have had your continued support, I appreciate you more than I can express in these words. And I hope that you know that. And to those of you that have not jumped on board with that, do that. Do that. Steve Dockerty is... A lot of things. He's a pastor. He's a dad. He is a, a podcaster as well. But we sat down to talk about his his debut book. So he wrote a book called Experiments in Honesty. And what you'll hear is Steve weaving Jesus and love and sometimes other faiths into the parables and into the words and life of God in a way that helps us deal with compassion fear, and anger. And I think it's those last two things. So fear and anger, they directly correlate with love. And it's a hard conversation. It has become a deeply meaningful one to me. And if I could make one small pitch, the way that Steve tells stories in this book are entirely engaging in a way that I now have begun to co-opt them when I talk about the Bible with people because they're really well said. And so I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with Steve. 
Here we go. Steve Doherty, welcome to the show. I'm excited that you're here. And honestly, thank you, Mike Morell, if you're listening, for putting us in contact with each other. Dude, I really, 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 really liked your book. Um, I've been reading it over the last, I don't know, month or two. But welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. One of the things I like to do is to have you kind of bring us up to speed on what makes Steve, Steve. So if you could just kind of go over, you know, some of your background, your history, and kind of those pivotal moments in your life that made you the type of, you know, religious person or thinker that you are today? Uh, okay. Right out of the gate. Uh, <laughs> I'm not ready, but I like it. Let's not do news, weather and sports. I, let's see. I'm, um, I've been a pastor. I mean, I mean, we can do sports. How do you feel about the Rams versus the Patriots? I, uh, if you want to have a podcast go really badly, start asking me about football. I don't, I don't <laughs> have any idea what you just said. <laughs> well, they played last night. And apparently it was a good game. I didn't watch it. So, okay. all right, there we go. We, we, we With can't. that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, let's see. So I, I've been a pastor for uh, about two decades now. But before that, I, I spent some, some time in the corporate world selling things. I, uh, to put it as concisely as possible, I think what I have been for a while is an artist disguised as somebody that talks about Jesus and then vice versa. And uh, that's gone well in some, in some ways and not so well in other ways, but I, my, my entire life, I wanted to make things. I, I wanted to create things that helped people feel. I, I love to be in front of a, a group of people and, and tell stories and, and help them feel things. And so at this point in my life now, I'm, I'm getting to, to teach and tell stories and, uh, and write. And so but those are some, that's just kind of what I do and who I am. And we can get all the way down into how I was specifically hurt in August 87. I've got a story about that. <laughs> well, um, but yeah, storyteller. When you, when you say artist, uh, what do you mean by that? Because that word means a lot of things to a lot of people. And so mm-hmm. what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I you know classically, um, I I I draw and paint and sculpt and do things like that off and on. Um, but I'm I'm pretty constantly trying to rearrange the ingredients of my existence into interesting things, and so um, that's visual um, mostly. Um, but I, that's how I see storytelling is the the art of taking the mundane and not making it less than mundane, but just showing, um, you know, anybody that will listen that, hey, this is actually quite sacred in it being mundane. So I, I just see art as a as a way of walking around with a flashlight and saying, you know, behold, did you even notice this? And and um, and yeah. helping people to notice it. I've said before, often on the show that I, you know, I play guitar, I lead worship at my church, but. Often I find the most authentic version of me uh, is the one 
is is the part of me either when I'm able to pray right, which is not all that often, and pray right. That's a horrible um, sentence structure, but it's it's fine. Whatever. This isn't written down. So, uh, but but when I'm sometimes when I'm singing, and it doesn't have to be worship. It really it just matters on where I'm at, and then the song that's on, and kind of the meaning behind the song, or what I'm hearing in the meaning. Like my most true me ends up showing up in a way that I forget that there's anyone else even in the room, if that makes yeah. sense. Like it's it does, yeah. yeah something I think that's very well put. Something primal about it. I do agree though that you're a good storyteller. And I say that because like as I was reading, um, well we forgot to say what it is. So you've written a book, Experiments in Honesty, and then there's a bunch of words after that. And so <laughs> <laughs> what what and if i'm trying to remember right um meditations on love fear and the honest to god honest to god naked truth yeah there it is what are you trying to get at with this book and then i'll wrap back up into your storytelling because the way you open yeah. the book i read it a couple times in a row I, I really enjoyed the way you opened the book with peter but what are we trying to get at in this book i have spent a lot of time counseling people in my role and, and just in my own meditations and I've gotten hung up uh, for lack of better terminology on the same kinds of ideas over and over. Um, and so th- those would uh, be uh, how fear plays itself out. Fear is really, really clever and sneaky and it comes out in so many different ways that we, we celebrate in our culture. Uh, and so it, the, in aggression, our violences, our manipulations, um, there's so many different ways that fear controls us. Um, and we just apply a really sophisticated vocabulary to it. And then we don't even know we're afraid. So, so I wanted to write about fear and how if God is running the whole thing on fear, as I learned growing up and had reinforced over and over, um, then it's really one of the worst programs imaginable because uh, fear begets uh, self-interest. Whenever I'm afraid, I start prioritizing myself. And so it's a book about fear because it's a book about selfishness, because it's a book about compassion. Uh, so it's a book about what I think Jesus is trying to do in the day-to-day with our selfishness and our fear when you say fear in that way, mm-hmm. you know, in the way that it, an unhealthy fear, I assume what you're talking about is the fear of if you don't do A, God is going to punish you with B, and mm-hmm. you're going to have to either figure out what the rules are so that you can live that way, as if the Bible was a rule book, but uh, you're arguing that that's not the case, correct? Is that what you mean when you say fear? Like, that's that's the wrong way to look at it? I think that that's that's a big part of it. So yeah, that that programmed and trying to incentivize people. What's the terminology when you use uh, negatives to incentivize certain behaviors? That that's certainly in there, but that's and that's not unique to any given religious tradition. Can I say parenting? All, all, is that is that the proper terminology? Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's there's there that's a huge part of it. I mean, <laughs> Jesus teaches to pray and he says, "Okay, our dad." So, I mean, we should pay attention to that. We project a lot of that upward. Um, I think that uh, incentivizing people to behave better or else is not unique to any tradition. That's just human beings figuring out very early how you can control people. But I would go so far as to say and try to end the book with some humility that it's also that just because you uh, a minute ago you said healthy fear i don't think you can prescribe 
healthy fear in terms of how we think about it um, with God. I, there's a lot of preachers who, you know, I think of Jonathan Edwards who, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is the proper way to be before the b- b- before God and trying to prescribe an emotional reaction. Um, I think just however you feel in the presence of the divine is how you feel. And if it's fear, every single time in the Bible, you're told, well, don't feel that way. <laughs> don't, don't be afraid. That's the wrong, that's the wrong way to be feeling right now in the presence of the divine. Yeah. Well, I, so I struggle with this concept of fear and I talked about it with my son just earlier, um, today because he asked, well, who are you going to talk to in a minute? So I told him and I said, about what? And he's like, well, wouldn't you fear, you know, if this happened? And what he said reminded me of this stupid meme uh, where it's, it has Jesus knocking on a door and it says, let me in so that I can save you. And it says, from what? And it says, from what will happen if you don't let me in? Or something similar <laughs> to that. Like, let me, I don't know if you've seen that meme or not. I it, have. It, I have. It, yeah. Every time I see it, I laugh and I, I don't share it because I don't want to uh, make that thought be, uh, It's I don't want to make light of that thought because so many people that thought, for so many people, that thought is 100% true. But that's never set well with me with like First John four eighteen, where you know if God is love, uh, there's no fear in love. Uh, if if that makes sense, like I, if we worship Jesus to Christ, then fear has a very small place, if any. But I do feel like there has to be some kind of healthy fear. But I agree with you. I don't know how to describe that in any way, shape, or form. Well, so since you can't describe it, I would say just don't use the word. Because it always comes with, well, let me tell you what I mean by that word. Mm. And so I would say, um, just just say love. Because I, I love my wife. And if you really tease it out, that would, that would suggest there are things that make me wary about how, you know, how I approach her, treat her, how I speak about her, how mm. I act towards others when she's not around. You could, you could pull those apart and say, well, those are fears. But what they, what they really are is ways that I behave because of my, our love for each other. So I just don't, I I wouldn't say that I have a healthy fear of my wife. I just say, I love her. (laughs) Uh, I think fear in every other way. um, Again, it, what it does is ends up centering the self because I have to, I have to accommodate my fears by trying to get my, my interaction with the world or other people to be whatever it takes to not be in trouble. So it, so it centers me and Jesus said, love others. <laughs> so it's really, again, I want to say it'd be the worst program in the world if we're supposed to be afraid of a God who said, lift others interests up above your own. Yeah. Those, those are mutually exclusive. Yeah. When, so earlier when I alluded to earlier, a few minutes ago about you, you know, being a good storyteller. And so the way that you start your book, and I feel like this would be in the, anybody can see this for free version on Amazon, you know, how you get to read a few, a few pages. So you started out kind of retelling the story of, you know, uh, Jesus walking up and be like, Hey, we're going to go back out. We're going to go catch some fish. And they're like, yeah, right. This isn't, there's no way that this is going to happen. But you do, you tell the story in a way that I heard new things that I didn't hear prior. And so as a church member, not at your church, thank you for pastoring me in that moment, because I did hear new things that I hadn't heard before. Specifically, and I don't know if this is you coming through, but uh, a sarcasm in both Jesus and Peter of, I'm not doing this, like, really, really? And you talk about, you know, the rabbi's looking over with a smirk on his face, like, just put it in the water. Come on, Peter, just put it in the water. Put the net in there. Go with me. Um, but I like the way that you do that throughout the book. You break down a lot of biblical passages and stories of Jesus 
in a way that I would argue is like a sarcastic version of Lectio Divina, um, hmm. which is the way that when I try to do Lectio Divina and insert myself into the text, because that's the way that my brain works, I'm a big fan of pun, I often do that, and so it was refreshing to read someone else doing it in a much better way than I do it internally in my monologue. So my question is, how hard is that to do with the Bible story, to try to breathe fresh life into it, um, oftentimes with a bit of comedy and humor, but also still be respectful of the text? Well, that, you know, like the last part of your question assumes that comedy would be disrespectful. Uh, and I, <laughs> That's fair. I, I, I would say um, it's really impossible for me, not, not somewhat impossible, really impossible, <laughs> whatever that means. Um, it's really impossible for me to believe that Jesus um, gathered a following like he did so quickly, simply on the merits of being able to heal people. Like he must have made people laugh everywhere he went. And I think it's hard for us to intuit that that is captured so separated as we are by language and culture and time and distance and all that. Yeah. Somebody pointed out a long time ago that when Jesus said it's easier you, you strain out the gnat, but swallow the camel. I think, if I recall, that in Aramaic, in which he might have been speaking, that camel and gnat rhyme. And so little things like that you can't tell in English, but I feel like it was namla and gamla. Those words are in my head. I might be making that up. But anyway, that the words in Aramaic rhyme. And that, so it's like the sing-songy, like, like Jesus is sitting there saying, you strain out the gnat. And you swallow the camel, and it's got a like a freestyle rap cadence to it. Mm -hmm. That's very different than walking around with your spine totally erect, you know, just uh, never smiling, just doling out truth. Uh, he must have been entertaining. Yeah. So anyway, that's a that's a long way of answering. T to me, I'm trying to capture that if you were in the presence of Jesus, you wouldn't feel like you. I don't think we're in the presence of a biblical figure. You would feel like you were in the presence of just truth and joy and just i mean it would be a real delight and i that's all i'm trying to capture yeah no well, i i enjoy it and actually so you know i was reading part of it last night and, and i'm sitting next to my wife and my son walked by and he's like are you reading about the bible and then we read a bit of it together and he's like well that story is a little bit different i was like it's the same story but um i mean even so for a nine-year-old you know he really he really got things out of it which is i think hard to do to write a story in such a way that you know demographics of you know, elementary school and demographics of the purpose of this podcast are both engaged in a way that, that holds attention. That's great. You say something in that very first chapter that I underlined and then kept coming back to. And so you're talking still about Peter and how Peter continually just doesn't get it. Like, doesn't get it. He, like, he, he, over and over and over repeatedly, just really struggling to understand what the heck is happening. And so... He eventually, you know, lops off this, you know, what do you say? He was aiming for the guy's head and he ended up getting his ear. And then God, you know, Jesus comes back over and says, you know, you're getting it wrong. Put away your sword. Don't use it for anything but filleting fish, I think is what you say. Yeah. And then basically turns and looks at Peter and you say the words, uh, you know, it's odd that Jesus is having to heal victims of his church so early on. And so I'd like you to break that apart mm -hmm. again. What do you mean when you say... You know, basically from like, you know, what's that day 20 or however many days it is? I don't know what day it is. Um, you know, we're already this nanescent church that doesn't even really exist yet, but is beginning mm -hmm. to be birthed or conceived, is already causing victims and Christ is already having to heal it. Mm -hmm. 
I think you did a pretty good job right there. I think that um, every single one of us could tell the story of uh, if we've if we've spent any time with the church in our life, we could say of how how great it was and how also it was the container for a lot of pain. And I think that the church has always been a a human enterprise as much as it's been a spiritual one. And I'm not trying to start an argument. I don't know what the ratio is supposed to be. I just know it's always included people. <laughs> and so my point in that was um, this is uh, that particular scene of I just can't believe that Peter was going for the for that guard's ear you know, with like ninja precision, <laughs> he was trying to kill the guy. And luckily the guy ducked or whatever. And he only connected with his ear. Yeah. I guess there's another, I never, it's occurring to me right now. I guess he could have wrestled him to the ground and cut it off. Like I, that's even more, <laughs> that's a terrible scene, but maybe Peter was like, I am taking your ear. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, he was trying in my mind, he was trying to kill the guy on behalf of the prince. Of Peace. He needed ears to hear and he just wanted an extra one. That's not bad. So <laughs> you are to be commended. You said you liked puns. You just delivered. I did it. <laughs> um, so, so I, the irony, and I, I think it's an intentional ironic scene. I, I think I'm using that word, right? Defending the one who has told Peter that I am going to lay my life down. Uh, the son of man is going to be crucified, et cetera, et cetera. Peter stands up and says, no, no, no. We're going to do this like a whole bunch of other messiahs. We're going to, this is going to be a movement where we're going to start swinging swords and all that. And Jesus tells him to stop it and then heals his victim. I think there's a ton of that happening in the church, lowercase C churches and capital C church. There's a lot of on in God's name, I am going to do this act that's bad for you, but good for my take on what God wants, let's yeah. say of the Lord, you know, and uh, I think God is doing a lot of healing caused by Peter followers. I can't tell a story about killing mosquitoes and and i have a question about that just because i want to i want i don't have a good segue and so i want to try to make people laugh here we go so you tell a story mm -hmm. about maniac what, what's the word you use i'm maniacally killing mosquitoes in a way that would make gandhi weep and so mm. what is is it is it a volume of mosquitoes is it like 27 <laughs> mosquitoes is it what it is one enough to make gandhi weep like how many does that cause or does it take for you uh, well, I, I don't, I didn't get a good count. Um, <laughs> I can say that all stories are exaggerated. <laughs> um, I think I also, in that story referred to it as a cloud that obscured the sun of mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah. I I'm not going to stand behind the veracity of that. So, <laughs> but, but my anger, my frustration level, uh, in that story is, was dead on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I lost it. I, I've been there. So we had uh, in the backyard before it got eight degrees, a little fire pit. And the other day, months ago, we were out there. I was like, I can't be out here anymore. I'm being mm -hmm. destroyed. And if I remember right, my wife was like, you're really going to go? And I'm like, yes, I can't. If I'm out here anymore, I'm going <laughs> to lose it. I itch all over. 
I want to destroy things. And so I need to, well, I, see, I need to go It's really house. cold right now. And I grew up hearing that these really cold days like we're having today, at, at, you said it's like 10 where you are. Mm-hmm. I think it's like 18 where I am. I, I grew up hearing that that was really good for killing mosquitoes. I don't, I don't believe it until I see it because it, Central Virginia, I feel like all we're missing is alligators to be like mosquito population equivalent of Florida. Well, a, a, a cloud of alligators, I think, would be way more interesting and probably would have enhanced my faith rather than take <laughs> Definitely would have been a miracle. You, though, then roll the maniacal killing of things to make Gandhi weep into talking about, I can, I'm going to say the word wrong, a principle of bohisikata. I don't know how to do it. Do you remember that word? Because I can't say it right. Not by what you're attempting uh, there so you're talking about gandhi in a in a i believe it's a buddhist practice where oh. or uh you know where we bodhichiva. are hard there it is yeah say that again uh i believe it's pronounced bod- bodhichiva yeah and so what is that B- bodhichitta I, I i think i added a v where it wasn't invited it's a <laughs> it's better than mine <laughs> it's uh, i don't remember the the exact translation and uh, after i i wrote that i I have a um, an old friend who he's a he, he's a Buddhism professor in the Midwest somewhere, um, and um, he was he was excited to see that outlined in my book. But it's the idea where um, you don't just have knowledge acquired because pretty much anybody can you know know things, but is awakened to the true self, which is compassion. Um, which I find fascinating because um, compassion is a, is a very descriptive way of describing love, like not, not the not the sentiment, but the the volitional from your core essence way of being towards someone else, which we were told God is love. And so um, I was I was impressed with this idea that that. And this is true of different cultures, um, and and my knowing about them means nothing. I'm sure there are far more than I'm aware of that the the wisest sages among them are discovering. Hey, I think at our core we are not just everything that we've learned, like head knowledge, but we are unitive compassion toward one another, which I I, I am encouraged by that because we're made in the image of love and so it makes sense that many of us would be discovering yeah how how do you think we got so far away from um i I would honestly argue as i read through um that word that i'm not going to try to say wrongly again uh, Hmm. and then i googled it and read more about it it sounds a lot like what the church is intended to be in Hmm. relationship to each other you know i'm i'm in fellowship with every single well you could argue everything on the planet, but let's let's anthropomorphize it. I'm in I'm in community with everyone, and so that should change my intentions and the way that I posture myself to others. So how how do you, as a pastor, think that we've gotten so far away from that? Because that's not the way that at least the Western Church that I was raised in uh, treats one another, and it's not the way, honestly, if you turn on the news, that we still treat one another. That's a good question, um, and. I don't know how to answer it in a way that I would care about. Like I, I have words I could say in response to it, but I, I don't, I don't know why it would matter. Cause my first impulse is to tell you, I don't think we're all that far from it in the same way that you're not very far from another room. If you're, 
in the adjacent room, but you're in a completely different room. <laughs> but there's just that, you know, there's just so little actually dividing you from that other space. I think of the um, Vietnamese monk, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. He said, we're, uh, I'm going to butcher this. We are here to awaken from the illusion of separateness. Mm. And um, I feel like the work of Jesus of Nazareth is, you know, it's all rooted in what he said summarizes the, the law and the prophets and all of it is to the love of other as self. Well, that would also have in it this idea, and you can see it when Paul talks about knocking down dividing walls and all that, that there's this, this false divide between all of us and, and they're literal and figurative divides. And to awaken from the, the fallacy of those, I, I just, I hesitate to say, well, this is why I think the church got so far from it. I, I think that it could be in a conversation on a podcast as simple as it, well, we're not, it's, it's just a matter of more of us recognizing that we have everything we need already. We just, we, we don't channel our compassion and our love very well. We just expend most of it on ourselves because we're, we're taught to be afraid. Yeah. We're taught to prioritize ourselves. We're taught to spend our resources, however you want to define resources, on ourselves because we're man. We're I mean, we're just an inch away from the kingdom of God. It's in our midst, but we still live by the animal kingdom. Yeah. So what what would be uh, you know if I was a con- in congregation at your church and I came in and we're having this conversation not in this format and I said, well, what do uh, I do then? You know, between this Monday and next Monday, give me two things to do, Steve that will matter, that will move the needle towards the kingdom? What would, what would one to two things be? Uh, I, I, I would probably have a way longer conversation <laughs> with you than that because I, I don't really prescribe steps mm-hmm. because uh, especially us dudes, we love steps because it gives us a sense of control. Mm-hmm. What I would probably want to do is say, uh, you know, well, hey, if you're serious, let's just walk this journey together. And then after maybe a year, I would say, what if, what are you learning about your motivations? What are you learning about how you how you see your, yourself? When you are by yourself and you are thinking or meditating or praying or fantasizing, how does that shift when someone else walks into the room? And what does that say about how much you perform? And so how does that affect when you pray? Do you talk to God the way that you actually talk? And I, to me, it's just a, it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, package super well and do these things for X number of days. And I don't think that you were necessarily suggesting that. I understand your metaphor, but I'm just, I, I think this is like decades long work of waking up to the kingdom that's in our midst and we didn't know it. How do you, well, to, so then to rephrase that, how do I know when I know it? Like what, what for you, I guess, personally shifted where you're like, okay, light clicked. Mm-hmm. And and you've not to use your room metaphor. I'm not in the other room yet, but I'm in the hallway on the way there. Like, how did you know yeah. when you got into the hallway? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think I I think that having actual peace that's that didn't wait for circumstances permission. Mm-hmm. That I'm I'm better now. If if we have to judge it and rate it. I'm better now than I used to be at being in the presence of the world as, as it is being in the presence of other people as they are and being able to say, well, what would I want in this situation? Because that, that this is the, the summer, the summary of all of the scriptures to love people as I would want to be loved, you know, the, the golden rule. And so 
to be in a situation where other people are trying to escalate. And I would say, well, what, what, is, what is it that they're trying to get across? Or I'm, I'm, I'm trying right now to speak as broadly as possible, but it's the specifics of how well attuned am I in a given moment of yeah. giving others 51% of my interests at least. <laughs> That's fair. So you're talking about the golden rule. I can't remember exactly where in your book, but you basically rattle off. I feel like it's like 15 or 20 other, uh, I don't know if religious text is the right word, maybe religious sayings or contemplative sayings, or mm -hmm. I don't know, but echoed just throughout millennia is that same thing over and over and over and over again. Absolutely. And so I want to phrase the question right. Does it being echoed everywhere give more credence to faiths that aren't ours? Or is that just a universal truth? And I well, don't mean that to put down any other faiths. I'm not prideful enough to think if I had been born in a different country, I would probably not be Christian. So maybe I would, but who knows? I, a lot of my religious a lot of my religious basis is, you know, the, the country I happen to be born in. So I want to give that caveat. I'm not mm -hmm. intending that question to put down anyone else's uh, practices. Yeah, I, I think that if a truth, I, I, as, as long as we put some humility and, you know, we put some asterisks next to words like universal and all that, um, if, a, if a truth is true, it would, it would be fundamentally universal. So, so I'm not talking about a doctrinal conviction or something like that, but um, the golden rule, you know, Matthew seven, Jesus says that this, let me, let me, let me take a whole bunch of content, very complex content and boil it down to love others the way you want to be loved. We see that pop up in lots of sacred literature and, and perhaps all of it. And to me, that reinforces its validity that we we're all, if we're listening, hearing the same voice say, this is, this is what it is. This is what matters most. I think some people are threatened by that because they don't know how to value a thing unless it's exclusive, which I understand. Mm. I just, don't, I just don't happen to think that way anymore. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'd like to think that when we go up in space and look down at this big puzzle um, that we call <laughs> continents that, you know, it's, it, it really is one thing. It's one family. Yeah. And me over here in North Carolina at 43 years old, thinking I've got the whole thing bagged in a corner. That's, that's super cocky to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think you're right, though, that a lot of people don't value something unless it's scarce. But a lot of that, I would argue, just from the profession that I do, is because of the way that we that we control the supply chain. And then we inherently mm -hmm. do that uh, with God, as if, as if forgiveness is rationed out and grace freely given is rationed out. And so the, I think just the way that specifically in capitalist societies, the way that we think about anything that's transactional, and if the bulk of, of churches talk about, you know, penal substitution as a transaction of grace, it, it has to be scarce or it's inherently devalued. Uh, and yeah. if I've learned anything over the past year or two, it's that um, even if it was scarce, the scarcity abounds at a, at a level that is still overflowing inside at least this planet <laughs> if not 
if not all of the planets. Like even if it was scarce, what is scarce to an infinite God? Uh, but I think a big part of our brains struggle to reconcile with things like that when our society is is the way that we live daily doesn't match the way that we could worship daily. If that makes, I don't know if that makes any sense or not. It does. I think it's beautifully said. I think that that's a way more eloquent way of saying what I said at the top about everything has fear running in it. And if we, if we assume that's the economy of God as well, um, then all we, we are making God in our own, own, own image. I want to end with two things. Um, in, I think it's part four, you talk about the polarities of love and control. And mm-hmm. you talk about, you tell a story of your father and a story of your mother and how, you know, your father, I think uh, you said is a police officer. And so when he walks in the room, there's an inherent power and an inherent control. And so if you could, what do you mean when you talk about the polarities, you know, the North and South, whichever way you want to do of control and love? The stories I tell about my dad having been a cop is about um, like where I, where I learned power and influence and strength and, and that sort of thing. Um, And then, so learning to be a more loving person, I had to unlearn what I knew about what I thought I knew about strength and, and uh, identity because to really love someone well, I have to de-emphasize myself. Mm. And so I made a comment earlier about 51%. I, I put that idea in the book as well. Um, I've for a long time, it's been a meditation of mine, like how much of my mental emotional resources are being spent on myself right now? Well, don't feel bad about that. Just recalibrate and try to give other people most of my intent, not all that's impossible, but most if I can. Um, but when you, when you've learned, like a lot of us have that no success is dominance and conquering it's winning arguments, it's winning fights and having grown up with uh with a police officer for dad and i we've talked a lot about this i've said right to him you know i think i learned some really wonky things about strength from your profession and Mm. oh yeah he he totally agreed um to de-emphasize the self to to be to have the humility to lift up others not just because you've evaluated them and found them worth it but because well that's what i would want um even if i was an idiot or was wrong or was bro- or broke laws or was ugly, whatever that is, you know, it's not, let me, let me see if you're worth submitting to. It's constantly de-emphasizing the self. Um, and so at one point it feels to me as though you have to choose, do you want to walk into a room and have the strength to control it? And, and so doing protect yourself from, ambiguity and surprises and, and pain, all that. Or do you want to come into it, take out, take off your outer garment and start washing feet? Um, very anti-American, that second option, it feels like. You have a, a line that I wrote down and I've given a lot of thought to, and and I, I'd like to reframe the way that you do it with a question. So you, you have a line saying that, uh, and this is a quote, Jesus announced good news, capital G, capital N, Good news, just as his beloved cousin was incarcerated for the crime of candor, you and I might have called Jesus's timing insensitive, but this is our world and this is our faith. Um, and that really rings 
true for me. But my question is this, are, are, do you feel like the bulk of believers are called to be the John the Baptist in that scenario, yeah. or are we called to be the Jesus in that scenario? Or is it a little bit of both? That's a, yeah, that's a, I don't, I have to think about that. I, I heard, I heard a comic book illustrator say, I don't know why church leaders always want to be Batman. Aren't they supposed to be Alfred? I thought that was really good. <laughs> that needs to be on a shirt. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that it feels like a cop out to say, Hey, how about both? Let's just say both. But I, I think it's both because what, you know, John the Baptist famously said, I have to decrease and he's got to increase. And, but what G, the, my point in that particular part of the book is that Jesus uh, ends up being killed, dies unfairly. Um, if anybody ever deserved to have a better life happen to him, it would have been Jesus. And yet was still able to, with conviction and sincerity, say, I've got good news. Um, mm-hmm. I've come to show you how to live abundantly. And, and you know, when I think about the disciples getting back from having been dispatched by Jesus to go and to proclaim the kingdom and to heal and to cast out demons, when they come back and mark to tell about their, their tales of adventure, it's... Um, it's likely that Jesus has learned in, in that same time frame that his cousins had his head cut off because of Herod, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of all those people coming back into your presence, telling stories and talking over each other, and I, you won't believe what I accomplished. And Jesus says, well, let's go rest. I would have said, so no one's interested in the week I've had? You know, <laughs> do you know what just happened to the only other person in my family who gets me? And so then they go away to rest and people run around the lake and cut them off and ask for more. And Jesus sees them and has compassion on them and teaches them and feeds them, says they're sheep without a shepherd. And once again, if that's me, I'm like, oh, look, the crowds want more. They want to take more from me. It's take, take, take with you people. You know, so John obviously has a role of de-emphasizing himself and pointing away to the Christ. But then Christ is teaching us that, that, there, that compassion needn't be based on the concept of scarcity, that go get some rest, but also uh, pour, your, pour yourself out. For those listening, A, go out and buy uh, his book, Experiments in Honesty. The way that Steve retells um, Bible passages and, and truths about the Bible in, in a new lens is fantastic. Specifically, uh, one of my favorite um, stories in the Bible is you know the, the paralyzed man that gets dropped down through the roof, and that is co-mingled with the song, The Boys Are Back in Town, and so that is reason enough to go back and, and get the book. So um, I, when I read that, Steve, I did. I, I started singing the song. As I read the story, I was like, this this really works well. And Good. and I would hope that Jesus had that song playing in his head, you know, when he did, you know, when he walked back into town. I'm sure he didn't, but it worked really well in my head. So where yeah. would you where would you point people to uh, to engage with you? The the book is available everywhere, you know, good, fine fantastic books are sold, but where would you point people to to either engage in you, engage in this work, hear more of this type of stuff from you? Uh, you know, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I, I'm, I've got a website that I don't use very well, but I mm-hmm. still point people to it. Um, stevedoherty.net. And so that's D-A-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y, stevedoherty.net. And so I, I write there. I've got some updates. 
Um, I'm, I've got a couple of things cooking, but like I said, I just, I, I just don't use my website very well, but I'm, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram a lot. And, um, I love going around and connecting with people when I do storytelling or I go and speak. And so that's a, my, my favorite way to interact with people is in the same room. So I don't Absolutely. know, uh, when that'll happen, but I hope that it does. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much for your time this morning, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks, Seth. This has been great. today's episode is from the band citizens used with permission you'll find links to today's tracks in the show notes i'll talk with you next week thank you so much for being here